Good morning. It's a rare privilege for me to get the opportunity to come before you and uh, teach. I uh, continually uh, tell students that uh, they need to get out of their comfort zones and do things they don't normally want to. And uh, it looks like the uh, tables have turned for me this morning. I don't know if it's the uh, passage uh, that Rick didn't want to preach this morning or if he had a legitimate um, other option. But um, this morning, I have the opportunity to come and, and strengthen my gifts and be stretched as I share from the Word. Um, over the last month, we have um, been digging into Malachi. And uh, if you guys remember way back to the beginning, uh, let me just give you a little recap on where we've been. Uh, Jason, back the last week of July, uh, he talked about God's love for us and his pursuit, passionate pursuit of us as a people. And then Rick went into the uh, unfaithfulness of the priests. And this book, Malachi, I don't know if you're getting anything out of it, but I know for me, when I do Bible study on my own, I tend this one, maybe one of the books, or the Minor Prophets, I kind of skip over and go right to like the Pauline epistles and some of the cool stuff for the church. And I skip over some of the meat that the Old Testament has for us. And Malachi is one of these. Every time they've been preaching, I've felt conviction and challenged with the words that are being stated. And I know it's not by accident that God uh, allowed me to come up here and work on this lesson for this week so that once again I could be challenged uh, in where I am in my faith and where I need to be going as I walk with Christ. So this is, uh, I'm really excited to uh, dig into this one with you. Today we're at uh, Malachi uh, 2, 10 through 16. And right before I read here, just let me tell you where exactly um, what's going on here. Um, outside looking in on Israel, most people think at this point in this uh, writing that they've got it all together. They've you know, reestablished themselves, a hundred years of freedom out of Babylon, re rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the walls, and they are basically free under Persian, even though they're under Persian authority, they are free. So at this point, from an outsider looking in, we would say, man, they're doing all right. You know, they're doing great. But the reality is that they are rotting on the inside. On the outside, they look great. On the inside, they're rotting spiritually. They live their lives ignoring God, his word, even despising it. They question God's faithfulness and harden their hearts towards him. So God sends the prophet Malachi to speak to his people, and he passionately pursues them and brings sharp messages to bring them back to himself. Let's look at uh, what, if you wouldn't mind following with me as I read this passage today, Malachi 2, 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith, the detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign God. As for the man who does this, Whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because you no longer, he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? 
It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garments, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Join me in prayer as we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we read passages like this and we know that you're cutting right to our hearts. And Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for this message that although is 2,500 years distant from where we are today, Father, it is so relevant to us today. Father, I just ask that you would open our hearts to the message you would have for us today and that you would challenge us and that we'd walk out of this place um, with a new hope as well as maybe a conviction of something we need to work on to grow closer to you and be transformed into your likeness. God, be with me as I speak this morning. Uh, Just uh, may your words flow through me and may I get out of the way of the message that you have. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage starts off with two questions. Now for me, as I was studying this word this past week, I found myself ignoring the first part of the thing. It asks the questions, have you, have you not one father? Did not one God create us? As I prepped, I was kind of like, oh, there's some random statement over there. We'll just leave that where it is. But as I continued to study, I continually went back to those two statements, which were kind of the cornerstone, if you'd say, to the whole talk that I go on this morning. These are important questions uh, today in that Malachi is asking the people to remember who they are. They have forgotten that they were a pe- people set apart for God. They were a chosen people. There's a particular verse in Exodus following God's deliverance of the Hebrew people f- from Egypt that describes this relationship. And we'll show it here on the board. Exodus 19.5, it says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant or promise, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Now treasured possession indicates that they are valued property. They are set aside for a marked purpose. Their purpose would be that of to be a holy nation showing God's grace to the earth. This is a special relationship. And because of this special relationship, the people were called to a higher standard. From that moment forward, he was calling the people to greater things, to live a greater life for his glory starting that very moment. But a lot of things have happened between Exodus and where we are in today's uh, chapter in Malachi. A thousand years roughly have passed and they have forgotten who they are. They have forgotten who they were and in turn are now doing whatever they wanted and making the choices that seemed right to them. How about you and I? Have we forgotten who we are? A few weeks ago, Pastor Jason mentioned a story of himself selecting a boy for the team that had never been selected as the number one pick before. Do you guys remember when he talked about that a few weeks ago? As you remember, the boy was very grateful. Imagine being that kid that never gets picked and then finally you get picked. He was, his heart was broken. It was softened by that moment. Now imagine that he was picked number one and then Jason put him on the bench. That would have, what good of that would have that done? He would have walked away even more discouraged had he not even been picked. But he was picked number one. But Jason didn't do it. 
He didn't do it that way. He called him and then he said, I need you to get in the game. He allowed the boy to play the game. There were expectations given and skills that had to be learned as the boy played, but he was still the number one pick and he was still expected to live like it and grow. And the cool thing is, Jason was gonna be there right by his side. God selected Israel to be his chosen people and has a very purposeful plan for them. The reality that we need to remember today is that he has also chosen us. Today, many of us have accepted God's invitation into his family but have forgotten who we are. When we forget who we are, we seek one person's approval, our own. Last week, we had an awesome celebration hearing the testimonies of different individuals that were being baptized in our baptism service. What a great time that is. What a great reminder it is for us as believers to just remember who we are, as these people get up there and say, I want to identify with Christ, I want to live for Christ, and I want him to work in my life. What a cool celebration that is that we got to partner in. And like I said, I need those reminders, and I think all of us do. For many of us, we, have, we make decisions to follow Jesus and see him work in our lives, but then live life for ourselves and not for him. We thank him for the insurance of salvation, but we live our lives the way we want. Do you know who you are? The Bible tells us that if we have placed our trust in Jesus for our salvation, our identity is changed that instant. We are a treasured possession. Not in the future, but in that very moment right now. I want to list a few uh, verses here on the board. Your identity in Christ. And I just took a handful and put them on the board for us this morning, but I just kind of want to read through them. If you put your trust in Christ, this is who you are. You are God's child. You are justified and declared righteous. You were bought at a price. You belong to God. You are a saint. You are complete in Christ. You are the salt and light of the earth. You have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You are a minister of reconciliation for God. You are God's co-worker. If we can always keep these truths in our minds and truly believe them about ourselves, understanding that we are the number one pick, we have a better chance of living up to the standards God has laid out for us. It will have a significant impact on our words and the actions we take. From there, from this identity thing that we've just focused on, we're gonna to shift to another area. Kind of the earlier I said, when we forget who we are, we seek our own approval. Which leads me into this mirror versus window mentality. So Israel has forgotten who they are and because of this, they are making choices that go against their true identity. This passage tells us as a people that the people were marrying the daughters of foreign gods and have broken faith with the wife of their youth, the wife of their marriage covenant. Now we need to understand a couple things from this passage. When an Israeli married a foreign woman, it wasn't a situation where she leaves her foreign gods behind with her parents and clings to her husband's worship. She brought the worship with her, and in, historically speaking, you'll note in your Bibles that Israel continues to worship the false gods. So they welcome them in, and then they worship them. And it is no wonder that God would be upset if his treasured possession is choosing foreign women over women of this marriage covenant and what he has designed for them. 
We can see exa examples of intermarrying throughout Israel's history of the Old Testament, specifically in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. They're constantly addressing this issue. This is something that had to be taken very seriously, and it would have a huge negative impact on the witness of Israel and to the other nations and to one another. The next subject that is addressed in this passage is divorce. The men were divorcing their wives and remarrying younger wives. Malachi states, you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Throughout the history of time, and still in our culture today, there is this mentality if, that if I'm not getting what I want, I can go somewhere else to get it. Just like the men in Malachi's time, we can trade in the old model for the new, whatever the circumstance. Faithfulness is not something that comes naturally to us and it takes hard work to achieve. I'm gonna give you a quick example. I stole this illustration from my wedding. Uh, my father-in-law married, married us and what he did is he held out a mirror. And sorry if I'm blinding anybody, some of you I'm trying to, Chris. Um, he held out a mirror and with Crystal and I standing before him, he had us look into the mirror. And when it was my turn, I looked in and I saw for at least 10 seconds something very beautiful, something very desirable, but then I realized I was looking at my own reflection, okay? Now, what he said that day is he was talking about loving one another. That was the goal of his, um, of his message that day. He says, when we're looking in the mirror, all we see is ourselves. And when we see ourselves, what happens? It's all about me. So when I'm married, I look in the mirror and I say, man, my wife or husband should do this, this, or this. We put expectations on our spouses and then we get angry with them when they don't meet the expectation, all right? We get upset when life's inconvenient. I, you know, I don't wanna really raise my kids the way I, you know, the right way, I can, it's too inconvenient to work hard at stuff. It's hard to work at my marriage and you put all these expectations and it's all about you and when it doesn't work, you want out, okay? It becomes a big problem. If it's inconvenient, you don't want to be a part of it. And the covenant promises that you made before God and your spouse no longer matter because it doesn't fit with your plan. Because of God's love for us and his greater understanding of the big picture and consequences to our actions, he hates when we keep looking in the mirror. Many of us in this room have been touched by this type of circumstance. You've seen the ripple effects of someone looking in the mirror and who have forgotten the vows they promised to God and their, and their spouse causing broken families and broken hearts. I know in my marriage, if there's a problem or a, a argument or that kind of thing, it's because I tend to be the one looking in the mirror because it's all about me, I'm not looking out for the needs of the other person. Crystal's dad went on to, um, illustrate uh, another part by holding up a piece of glass, all right, much like this one. And he said, once again, look at each other through the glass. In this case, the view was much better for me this time around. Fortunately for my wife, it was still the old view. She had to look at me. But we could see each other, and what that, what that does for us as we think of our marriages is if I'm looking through the glass at the other person, I'm looking at the other person's needs. I'm understanding that I value that person, and how can I help in our relationship? When I'm looking in the mirror, it's all about me. When I'm looking through the glass, it's about the other person. 
God knows what is best for us and doesn't want us to live selfishly apart from him. His ways are better. He wants us to have a home where faithfulness embodies its identity. He wants a home where children will grow in their understanding of him and see it modeled by their parents' faithfulness, where spouse and children both feel safe and cared for. A perfect example of the the window mentality is a passage from Ephesians 5. Many of you uh, maybe even had this read at your wedding. It's very popular at weddings. I had to read it in a wedding once. But it says, just follow along with me here, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, when you look at a passage like that, I know for me, it, um, doesn't that embody everything we'd want in a spouse? Selflessness, honor, respect, true, um, uncircumstantial love. Don't we all want that? If you're not married, you want that when you get married. If you are married, you still want that as you're married. And that's what they're expecting from us. When we look through the window, this is what happens. When Christ is working in us and through us, these are the kind of things that are able to happen. I uh, put a list of uh, verses up on the uh, board earlier, uh, our identity in Christ. And I realized um, as I was doing the study that for me personally, where I struggle the most to live out my identity in Christ is sometimes in the home. I, I have driven home from work many a times and said, God, help me to be patient when I get home. Help me to be thoughtful to my spouse. Help me to play with the kids a little extra lovingly today. And then I walk through the door and it's like a disaster. Everything I just prayed for, everything I'd hoped for is like, where did that go? I, you know, I'm impatient. I'm not thoughtful. I don't take the time to care for my, my uh, kids, whatever it is. And so as I was doing this study, as I thought of my identity in Christ, I thought, what if I put a couple words at the end for us as a reminder this morning? And even if you guys don't take anything for, away from it, like I said earlier, this message is for me anyway. So I look at it as a great reminder. Um, you are God's child in your home. You are justified and declared righteous in your home. You were bought at a price. You belong to God in your home. You are a saint in your home. You are complete in Christ in your home. You are the salt and light of your home. You have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit in your home. You are a minister of reconciliation for God in your home. And you are God's co-worker in your home. Now just imagine, if we remember our identity, who we are in Christ, and we actually took that into our homes and lived that out. Man, I'm, I'm Christ's co-worker here. And so that means what I'm doing here is selfless. This means I'm loving, I'm compassionate, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help this situation. Understanding that um, you're chosen to bear fruit there. God wants to use you in a significant way in your home. That's a huge reminder for me, and I hope it is for you. God wants us to live our identity in Christ in all areas of our lives, especially in our marriages and in our homes. 
Which leads me into my third point. When we're not doing that, there are ripple effects. When we choose to follow our way and not God's, like in Malachi here, there are ripple effects or consequences to our choices. And today's passage states a few of them that we'll look at here shortly. Number one, God no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. All right, this is a pretty tough statement. But what it's saying is God, in this case, was hearing the weeping from the injured wives, but he was not paying attention to the divorcing males. The people of Israel were showing great grief over the distance they felt from God, but they were weeping for the wrong thing. They could feel there was a distance, but they really didn't know what to do with it. Rather than weeping about that distance, they should have been weeping over their sin and bringing that to God and saying, God, I'm sorry for this and working through those things. When we have been unfaithful to our spouse or to anyone for that matter, the key to moving forward is repentance. We need to confess our sins to God and ask for forgiveness from that person. If we have divorced our spouse and refused to take ownership or have been unfaithful in any way, um, not necessarily fully divorced, if we don't take ownership or ask for forgiveness for what has been done, our offering will not be accepted. No matter how passionate we are in our worship, So we need to get right with God, all right? If there's something between you and another person, whether it's your spouse or anybody, take care of it. Move forward so that there's nothing in the way of that relationship you have with God. Another ripple effect is mentioned in verse 15. It affects your children. Now, as a a pastor in student ministry, this is the area I probably see the most is how it affects kids. Having conversations with kids when mom and dad, whether they're getting divorced or not, or just having a hard time, you can see the ripple effects that it has on children. Research shows that divorce can affect children significantly in the areas of academics, behavior, morals, also economically, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. God made marriage to be an exclusive, to be exclusive, and he desires for that union to last. As parents, we are models to our children. They will have a better chance to follow God if their parents are godly examples. When we are unfaithful to one another, that will have a lasting effect. And vice versa, if we are faithful to one another, it will have a lasting effect. Then it goes on to state kind of a confusing ripple effect. A man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment. Um, that's an interesting one, but it is very cultural to the people of Israel. Um, here it's referring to the custom of throwing a cloak over a woman as a sign of protection or of a willingness to marry her, a wedding trust. Uh, we see this uh, in the book of Ruth. Ruth 3.9 talks about Ruth asking Boaz to cover her with his cloak. That was a sign to protect her. What the men were doing here in this passage And what it's referring to in that statement is they are doing the opposite. They were taking away the cloak of protection and leaving their wives vulnerable. Today we see similar circumstances as a consequence of divorce. Homes are are lost. Child support is expected. The spouse may not have the means to economically provide for their children. That security is lost. The spouse and child are abandoned and left open to hardship. So by removing the cloak, they're saying, here's a target. Here's a target. Now, I know that there are many different uh, situations surrounding divorce, and God knows your circumstance. I don't get to weigh in on those, but I know that the Bible is clear that God hates divorce. 
His plan for our lives is to be faithful to him and to one another, which is not always easy, but that is the standard that he has set up for us because of his love for us. Now, um, with that statement, we need to understand that there are times where separation is maybe needed to get healthy in the relationship. It may be that you may have to have some time apart, but God's desire for that is that you will one day come back together. And there are circumstances within divorce as well where it may be the only option. God talks about it. You know, Jesus talks about marital unfaithfulness being that reason. But I would say there's still hope in that to work through that. Where there's forgiveness and we work through the window and allow Christ to work through us, he can do anything with any bad circumstance. Look at all of us. If, we've been, if you've committed your life to Christ, you know that Christ has saved a wretch that day. And for all of us, we need that hope. So no matter the circumstance, I really encourage you guys to just allow God to work his power in that circumstance. Um, Our church has resources that can help in this area. And I apologize, there's some extra verbiage on here. I changed my talk last night before bed and this slide got moved. And so (laughs) there's some stuff in there that shouldn't be there. But some uh, resources to take advantage of. Uh, We have great pastoral staff here at our church, Pastor Rick, Pastor Jason. Um, If you are having struggles in your marriage or it's already over, please come talk to the pastoral staff. They want to help. They want to come alongside. They want to encourage. They want to pray for you. They want to help. Our church also has um, resources in Christian counseling. If you need a counselor, come talk to us. We'd love to get you connected where it might be a good fit. At least get that ball started. And even if you don't come talk to us, go find a Christian counselor that can help you. Even if your marriage isn't that that far on the rocks, it will not hurt you. (laughs) Um, Other resources, online resources, um, one I uh, strongly encourage, marriagebuilders.com. If you haven't seen that one, I looked at an article this past month that uh, just gave some clear helps for, at least in my case, when we got married, life was great, romantic, awesome, all those kind of things, and then kids showed up. And uh, nothing against you kids, But all of a sudden, the uh, pull of time and those types of things became an issue and can put kind of a wedge between your marriage where the marriage doesn't become the priority anymore, where these other things might. Marriage Builders had a great article in there just even mapping out how you can map your time so that you get time with each other, just taking intentional steps. Uh, Focus on the Family has great articles on there about marriage as well as um, consequence. I read a couple on the consequences of divorce and children, and you get a better description of what can happen happen uh, in that area of trust and all these other areas where they're affected, where they, you might not be able to necessarily see it on the outside, but it's going on in the inside. Great resources. Uh, visit our church library. It's newly been updated and logged. Um, there's an area called Christian Living. There's multiple books in there uh, on marriage to you know help e- just help resources for you guys. All right, and those other things at the bottom, those are good, but you don't have to worry about those for now. Um, On a side note, as I close up this talk this morning, I just want to throw this in there. A little over 12 years ago, my wife and I, Crystal, uh, we engrossed on planning and preparation for our wedding. Uh, Details like what church we're going to get married in, what state we're going to get married in, uh, will there be a DJ, what will the food be like for the guests, um, who, who will be involved in the wedding, all those kind of things. And as we were doing that, I, the last thing I remember thinking about were the vows, Sure, I knew they were an important and natural part of the ceremony, but the seriousness of the vows was not something that I focused on. 
Isn't it funny that after being married 12 years, the details that I focused on back then are of little significance now. But the things I continually go back to are those vows. Looking back, I wish I had thought through and understood the vows and the promises that Crystal and I would make before God, our guests, and each other. When we spoke those promises to each other on that day, we had no idea what that really meant. We had no idea what sickness and health looked like, nor richer or poorer, love and cherish to honor till death parts us. We had no idea, and many of our vows, we still don't. And it will take our lifetime together to discover what they really mean. If you are a young man or woman, or have never been married but are hoping to someday in the future, I strongly encourage you to think through the vows that you are about to say. Let them out, let them out today as you prepare to one day be married. Um, live them out, be faithful in your, to your future spouse with your choices that you make every day leading up to that wedding day. I strongly encourage you, know what you're getting into and take it very seriously. Uh, start praying for your spouse, start praying through those vows because like I said, for us, we've been married 12 years and I feel like we're just getting started. I'm just now figuring out um, how to get out of the mirror and get to, get to that window point where I'm really trusting God to direct my marriage rather than myself. Um, but sickness and health, you know, at this point, we haven't had to deal with that, but many of you in here have. Richer or poorer, we've had arguments about money before. Um, those have been problems. But we really need to trust God. And so I just strongly encourage you, young men and women, all of us, to just be aware of the vows that we've made or will one day make in our wedding. As we go from this place, uh, first remember who you are and live up to it. The closer you are to Christ, the closer you will be to others, okay? Um, spend time with Jesus. Make him the top priority of your marriage. Spend time with Christ. Take the time to get in the word, pray, memorize scripture, whatever it takes. Serving others, whatever it is, make him the top priority. Remember who you are. Second, stop looking in the mirror and start allowing God to work through you. Even if your spouse is still looking in the mirror, you are responsible for your actions, and God may have you in that circumstance to help your spouse find him. You know, we don't know. Sometimes people go through hard times, but we, it is, we are responsible to live out Christ to the people around us. It's not up to them to do it for us. It's about us allowing Christ to work through us. And finally, remember your choices. Even the small ones have ripple effects. Choose faithfulness. Choose Christ, choose no regrets. You're not gonna regret anything you do for Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much once again just for the opportunity to come uh, before this congregation, to be a part of this body, and have the opportunity to speak your word. And uh, Father, thank you for this passage from Malachi. Thank you for um, its cutting of my heart. And uh, Father, we just, uh, we lift it up to you we ask that whatever was spoken here today, that you would use it for your glory. And that if there's an area in our lives today where we need to um, get worked out or say sorry or just get on our knees with you for a while, Father, if we need to re-figure out what our marriage is going to look like and recommit to that, Father, 
Whatever it is, Father, we just ask that you'd be working that in our lives and you would help us not to um, just walk away from this message, but to put it to action. God, we do this not because you tell us to, but we do it because you have been faithful to us and you've picked us and you have a higher standard for us because you love us. Father, help us to grab a hold of that and truly, truly believe it in our lives. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.